إنك لا تهدي من أحببت ولكن الله يهدي من يشاء ما شاء الله it's good to see بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على الله السلام عليكم welcome to the Young Smokes podcast it's me John Fontaine and I'm with a very special guest a very good friend of mine Muhammad Robert Hef السلام عليكم Welcome to Samar Kala. How are you doing? Yeah, alhamdulillah. It's good to finally get you on. I know it's been, uh, it's actually been two years since I was trying to get you on. Do you remember in Ramadan in Dubai? Yeah, I, I know. I'm just, uh, I'm out of the scene. So I, I, the way I look at it is, alhamdulillah, you bring a lot of good guests on and and let them uh, take the adjur and, and take the spotlight for the good reasons. Ideally, I would have liked to have done it in person, but, you know, with, the, with, with what's happening with COVID and, you know, we've not seen each other for a while. And um, I've named the podcast Surviving COVID. And, uh, the old 75-year-old man. No. <laughs> because, um, you, you, you know, because you recently um, uh, had COVID, and, and I want to get onto that later on, a bit more about your experience with COVID. Um, um, but, yeah, subhanAllah, you know, ideally I would have loved to have done it in person, but, you know, alhamdulillah, it is what it is. And we'll, we'll get another podcast uh, when I see you, inshallah. So just before we begin, um, Muhammad Robert Heft, you was not born a Muslim. So can you just tell us a bit about yourself? How did you find Islam? Well, I, um, I, I'm an old new Muslim, as they call it, or convert yeah, believer. Um, accepted Islam July 12, 1998. Uh, mm. Went through a lot. A former Lutheran, uh, Protestant, Christian. Uh, non-practicing other than funerals and weddings up until probably I was around 24. And then I started to research uh, religion a little bit and started really getting into it and started trying to change my character. And, um, you know, I'd never heard about Islam. I'm from a small town. It's not a small town anymore, but it was back then. And, and, I, and I bumped into somebody who I'd known for many, many years who I didn't even know was a Muslim. And uh, he challenged my beliefs and and told me Jesus, peace be upon him, was not my savior. And at that time, I, I didn't know any better. And, and I stopped drinking and gambling and and um, changing my life, uh, you know, changing the way I was living my life. And I, I listened to him and two other brothers debate me for two and a half days. And I ended up accepting Islam in the back of a convenience store. SubhanAllah, mashallah. Yeah. So the yes. 98s, well, one thing one thing about you is I think it's kind of a it's it's not an ideal path, um, but it but it is a helpful path if you've been through it and you got through it. Um, which is with you, you've kind of been through and had experience with all the different groups of Islam. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, you remind me a bit of my my friend who accepted Islam in like the 70s. You know, he's been you know, through all the different groups of Islam, whether it's Brailvi, uh, Diobanda, you name it, Salafi this, Salafi that, mm -hmm. you know, he's been through everything and experienced so much. And you also, you, you know, you've, you've, you, you've been well connected with the community and been through many stages, even if you like, I remember you telling me you had some, some, uh, some, some, <laughs> some controversial stages as well. Oh, well, former jihadi uh, <laughs> being overseas. I was in the, uh, I was in the Iraq war in 2003 during Shakinaw. There wasn't too many people that looked like me there, I'll tell you that. 
but uh-huh. uh, I ended up a human shield. I mean, I was I was just against uh, American imperialism, but at the same time, it wasn't that I was pro Saddam Hussein, and I, w- I guess I was just somebody who uh, I wasn't really rationally thinking at that time. Uh, mm-hmm. It was more emotion. Um, the more you get deep into seeing images of of Muslims and human beings at large getting slaughtered around the world, it can really touch you. And um, at that point, I was a little bit overzealous, and uh, I went there with about uh, two busloads full of uh, people from all over the world. Some of them who were like me became human shields, and others who uh, ended up getting blown up by Apache helicopters um, mm. from the Americans coming uh, south from Basra. So mm. it was, it was, I was there, you know, from April 1st to April 5th, uh, three days before Saddam's statue got taken down. So it's not like I wasn't there in the, the heat of the battle. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was an experience. Um, I, I don't think I've changed much. I don't, I really, you know, it's, I'd never stopped believing that jihad exists and, and we have to struggle around the world to spread the message of Islam and share the message. I, I think probably the, the delivery of the message and, and, and keeping my emotions intact. And also, um, I'm a lot more merciful on human beings at large. I don't, I don't try to own Islam, like as if I'm the, the judge, jury, and executioner of of everyone's destiny, and I and I hope that everybody dies as a Muslim, of course, as we all wish for. But at the end of the day, Allah ultimately will judge all of us, and all I can judge is what is apparent. And um, so I do my best. I just deliver the message, and I, I don't get too emotional at what the results, you know, are. Yeah. So so through your through your time of being a Muslim, um, you've actually you, you've done you've been very active in your community. Um, you have a, a you, you have a center in Toronto. Uh, you've been spe- specifically helping new Muslims, and I think I think in this field, I think you were before your time. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's a lot of um, mosques they have dawah programs and things like that, but specifically helping new Muslims and also helping new Muslims that kind of, you know, they need they need they need a place which is where they're not going to be judged. You know, kind of, if you like, new Muslims that might not, that might struggle in a mosque. You know, I mean, you know, you, you've you've been dealing with new Muslims who have been, you know, addicted to drugs and alcohol and gambling. You know, and and a lot of mosques are not equipped, you know, to deal with these things. So can you can you tell us a bit about your P4E Center and and the the project that you you've been running in Toronto? Well, alhamdulillah, like like you said. Uh... A lot of new Muslims come into Islam and they need a support system. And uh, sometimes, unfortunately, we're exploited. And um, it's not happening as much anymore because I think there's so many new Muslims that uh, it's not like it was, you know, 20 years ago, probably even 30 years ago. But at that time, it was it was a really new thing. And it seemed like the, the mosques were really excited, but they really, like you said, weren't equipped to do anything. And... Uh, my wife's family, when uh, you know I got married, two people took shahad at my wedding, and then several in the neighborhood, and so after that, it you know it became apparent, you know, giving dawah without really th- knowing what dawah was, people were accepting Islam, but I was starting to see that they weren't like my parents and family. My my family was just happy I wasn't um, on the path of destru- uh, on a destructive path anymore. And I'm from an upper middle class family. The, you know, I didn't get kicked out. 
maybe they weren't really happy with me becoming a Muslim, so to speak, but they weren't unhappy because there were so many things I was doing wrong that um, it took a lot of the anxiety and stress away from my parents. It seemed like there was more stability in my life. So I had to try to become a de facto counselor because I felt so bad for those people who had family who were really, really against the idea. Mm-hmm. And after I got married, we started, my wife and I started bringing new Muslims into our home. And that didn't work out so well only because, you know, I lived in a two bedroom apartment. So imagine, you know, you, my wife wears hijab and trying to keep her away and her parents, her mother lived downstairs. So, you know, we could try to manage it, but it, it just wasn't really working. But that's the kind of sacrifice we were willing to make because we really felt bad for some of these people and the way their parents were treating them. And I ended up taking over. Um, I ended up getting a job in Taiwan teaching English and making a lot of money, alhamdulillah. But it uh, it was something that a lot of brothers who I knew in Scarborough might be able to do if they were willing to come over. So I took over Abdul Shakur Brooks. I took over a brother, Ibrahim Robertson. I took over several brothers and they started making money and then they brought some friends over. And ironically, Abdul Shakur Brooks ended up marrying somebody who converted from Taiwan. He's he's there now, alhamdulillah. And I mean, he became a scholar. He studied for 15 years. Yeah. So that was kind of the start of P4E. So it wasn't like today it's more... And I'm going to say this, frankly, it, it has become an angle for for institutions. So you need to collect funds. OK, what kind of angle can we have to collect funds? And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean they're going to do something wrong with the money, but yeah. it, it means they don't have that uh, genuine sincerity and understanding and, and willingness to make the sacrifice beyond the funding. And yeah. that's where I think most of these organizations fail is because that human element of really caring for this person's well-being, like trying to get them off crack cocaine or heroin, or just trying to get them a, a phone call at one o'clock in the morning, receiving something and answer something, to dispel a misconception they might have. So a lot of that is fundamentally missing from all these organizations. So, and, uh, you know, it it, it you sounds know. good, it sounds fun, but it is a nightmare <laughs> to look well, at. Counsel one person a week. You know, you know, you, you'll relate to this. You know, a, a lot of a lot of people who convert to Islam, I like the way I like to put it is they, they've they've been on or they're on or they've been on the sinking ship. You know, where Allah says that you're on the sinking ship and you call out to Allah. I like to think that most converts, you know, they've been at rock bottom or they are at rock bottom. And it sounds fun and 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 good to help new Muslims and, and all nice. But in reality, after the Shahada, most people just forget the new Muslim, you know, and, and that's when the real work kicks in, you know, trying to get people of, of alcohol, drugs and, you know, you name it. It, it is so difficult. And, and a lot of, I, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for the work that you do. You know, I mean, I visited your center when I came to Toronto. I've knew you for many years now. And uh, I know similar brothers in the UK that are looking after, you know, on grassroots grassroots level, you know, people who are actually looking after people who are homeless, on drugs. And it is really, really difficult. It takes over your life. You know, you like you said, you can get a call at two or three o'clock in the morning and, and you've got to go and help. You know, it's 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 not all, um, you know, roses, as they say. No, I mean, for for me. It, it, it developed and, and it manifested into a job in 2000. And 
four, I ended up working for one of the largest organizations in Canada, Islamic organizations, and lasted there about a year and a half and, and just realized that, you know, in fairness to them, I'm not going to critique them too hardly, too harshly, but the reality was they weren't prepared and I was ill-prepared. Uh, some of these people coming to me, I haven't had those. I didn't have a crack cocaine addiction. I became a de facto counselor because for the last 16 years, I've been dealing with people from, you know, hardcore uh, ex-extremists uh, to uh, hardcore drug addicts. And I didn't go to school for it. So I ended up having to hit and miss. In the beginning, it was like, yeah, you got to pray. You know, it's got to be more than prayer. You, you have to give them something as an alternative. When you have an addict who is escaping life, they're using different means to escape it with. You know, some people are escaping life on a smaller level by watching a movie. Some people are escaping life on a larger level by taking a shot of heroin. So you have to give them something to replace that with. And what it is is an emptiness in their heart. And it's not easy for a human being to go and try to pour something into their heart and, and, and have it stay. You have to, you know, you have to sort of wait it out and hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, manifest it in their heart, the love for Allah and the fear for Allah to, to move in that direction. And they have to surround themselves with a support staff or a support system that allows that. So you have to care and love for a person, not because you profit from them. I, I, I don't do much anymore, John. Like I, we have the center, but we don't like I'm a volunteer and, and myself and a few brothers pay for the office. We don't collect donations, as you know. I know you, you told me to do some kind of launch good. We, we do own some property. We used to get funding overseas and that's, you know, that's been gone for about two and a half, three years. So now we just cover the expenses and have just a presence in the community. I got a phone call today and, and I don't get a lot of phone calls anymore. And it was somebody who was a referral who I'd counseled for marriage. And, and the person said, you know, we only had one session, but our marriage become a lot better. And, and now mm -hmm. my friend's running into trouble and, can they call you and just tell them what they have to pay? And I said, I don't charge. And I, and I know, and I respect counselors who call, call and charge, but the, the reality is I, I'm a volunteer now and, and I make my own income. So I just kind of like, I can pick and choose how I want to help. It's not like before yeah. where new Muslims are calling me, you know, all the time and depending on me because the resources aren't there, but the yeah. network that was created over the last 16 years if you come to Canada and, and within a week and I have you working with my friends who are all general contractors so I can help people get jobs. And, you know, one of the greatest thing you can do for a new Muslim is get them financially stable. Mm -hmm. A lot of them think, OK, I'm going to go pray five times a day in the mosque. And, you know, that's good. It's almost like a tabliki dawah for, you know, a little escape to get your foundation of praying and, and get used to it. But th that doesn't pay the bills and help you live the reality of life. And especially if you want to get married, uh, it's it's not in, in Canada for sure. It's very expensive to live. So you have to help them build that foundation where they can move forward in life. So there's a network that has been created over the last 15 years of brothers from scholars to workers to big brothers, uh, big sisters, people who you can call. And it might seem like a small thing you're doing, but that phone call, because you gave them a network where they really wanted to help and they were willing to help, then you've done a tremendous deed. And mm -hmm. so that still exists. But other than that, um, I have my German shepherd guard dogs and, uh, you know, I, I, I live on outside the city and I, you know, I, I just. Yeah. And I know you're always reluctant to do some, some fundraising, but I think, I think times have changed, uh, Mohammed. 
I think I think times have changed. I think people realize now they're a lot more open to funding different projects. And, um, you know, I think Launch Good is a good platform and maybe, you know, people would like to support the work, the work, you know, I mean, I know I'd like to support and, and other people would like to support, you know, to at least keep some sort of center, which is dedicated. This is, I'm telling you, Herb, this is what we've needed in Manchester for so long. You know, we've got one masjid in the city center and, you know, we used to do so much dawah from there, but now it's just stopped. You know, you need a dedicated center for these type of, these type of things. And, um, you know, people, people don't really know, but, you know, inshallah, we hope that it carries on. You know, we hope that you, you keep going with, with the project. Um, you know, I, I, um, I wanted to speak to you about your, your, um, basically, um, as you know, a lot of a lot of Muslims, especially Muslims, uh, you know, the, the Middle East is also specifically known for being overweight, and uh, you know, and 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 as you know, um, <laughs> you know, including myself, you know, I mean, you know, the, the Ummah generally has uh, a problem with weight, and it's funny. I was reading the Hadith the other day, and it actually spoke about. There'll be a time when people actually get fat bellies and they, they become overweight, mm-hmm. and, um, and I really do feel like this is the time. And and people, um, they might not recognize you now, but they might actually know your face from before because you used to be very overweight, and mm-hmm. you know you had a, a total life change, you know, in a way of life. And I'd just like to speak a bit more about your journey on 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 kind of maybe gaining weight and losing weight as well and becoming living a more healthy lifestyle well i um i don't know what to say I, I lived most of my life like with a with a metabolism that allowed me to to eat as i wanted and up until probably muhammad my second um child was born so i was about 31 and then started uh started gaining weight so once I, you know, got to a point, I was about 250, 260 pounds. I was eating whatever I wanted. And I realized that after reflecting, my, my father had died at 55. Well, I was 45 and, and I was 50 pounds heavier than he was. Mm-hmm. And he died of a heart attack. So I, I said to myself, I, you know, is that is this the kind of life you're going to live? I mean, I couldn't control my weight. I was eating whatever I wanted. And and by the way, at that time, I wasn't even drinking pop or, or um, as they say, soda for since 2011. So I wasn't overly, you know, indul- indulging in sugar. I was just eating lots of meat, lots of carbs, lots of everything else that I wanted to eat. So after reflecting a little bit, and, and one thing that really got to me is I was like, I'm, I'm trying to spread the religion of Islam. I'm walking around. And it just doesn't look right having this big belly. I wear the jalabia, um, you know, and and I just, you know, you walk into a room and it's like, it to me, it was like an indication that I'm taking too much from this life. Not that you can't take too much in other ways, but, yeah. you know, that I'm taking more than my share and, and something you can't hide. Maybe you can hide, you know, uh, jewelry and stuff like that, that you might have hidden, but you can't hide a belly. And you wear black. I mean, I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, what really got me too 
was when when you read the story about Omar bin Khattab radiallahu and and he walked up to somebody and they were they were very boastful about the extra weight they were carrying and and um you know and he said and he was telling them basically being fat is like being cursed and you know and i thought about it i was like you know what it, it really that's a that's a serious that's a serious serious situation and and then i just I said, you know what, I'm going to, and I started with fad diets that I created on my own and, and just tried to eat less. And, you know, I, I didn't know that orange juice from the, from the store was yeah. not really orange juice. And, you know, you're thinking you're eating healthy, you know, I have a salad once a week. And then I really started getting into it. And I, I started following a, an individual named Dr. Berg, Dr. Eric Berg, and he was into keto. And I started really eliminating refined sugar and i took on refined sugar i would still eat stevia and sweeteners not artificial sweeteners but like stevia monk fruit and other things that would sweeten dates and some fruits and then i moved to all sweets and then i moved from carbs and as i kept moving i i started losing weight and i went down and i'm i'm now you know i am now hovering between 185 and 190 pounds so about 80 80 k 80 to 85 kg which is you know a lot less than 125 kg and mm. i'm i'm active i'm 48 i'm i'm playing hockey when you know covid's not around six seven times a week people don't believe it you know i, I go to the rink yeah you know people won't believe like you know you you were very big and you know mashallah you know the dedication uh, that you've put into this, you know, is, is admirable. You know, I, I really uh, take my heart off to you. You know, it's, you know, seeing you you work on it for the past few years. And mashallah, to see, you know, you said you're 48 and I've seen how you play hockey, you know, and, you, you know, you play golf and running around the course. And mashallah, may Allah bless you. And, and how do you feel, like, at the age of 48? Do you feel younger than when you was 38? I, I think like I tore my meniscus last March or last February and, you know, and I tried to start playing again three weeks later. I mean, a meniscus, depending on how bad the tear is, it, it can take six months to a year to heal. And, and so I, I, I slowed down and COVID helped. And mm. now that my meniscus is healed without surgery, I um, it's about 99% where I, I can do every movement that I did before. But it, that did slow me down in the last year, and I put on some weight, and then, alhamdulillah, I lost it. But uh, my joints, I mean, it's not like when you're 19 where you can wake up after two hours sleep and go and do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But I was playing goal seven days a week with guys the average age of 20 to 30. The game's pretty fast. I mean, hockey 30 years ago was not as fast as it is now. So keeping up with those guys, it, you know, it, it takes a lot, a lot of movement anyways. And, but as long as I soak in the tub, I'm, I'm all right. Uh, I don't really feel any different other than, you know, that your body's not capable of, of overexertion. I, the, the week I tore my meniscus, I played five hockey games in 24 hours because I played in a, I played the night the night before two games and then I played in a tournament in the morning and so five games in 24 hours for a 47 year old that was a little bit like I played 50 games in 50 nights 
So wow. you have to know your limits. <laughs> so now I'm even once a, once a day, you know, an hour, hour and a half, I'm okay. And it, that's how I get my exercise. I, you know, if you asked me three years ago, if I went out and played hockey, I'd be sore for four or five days. Um, mm. I'd be out of breath and I couldn't handle it. Now I can play back-to-back games, you know, with young, young guys. And I, I was playing with some pretty high level guys, guys who play in the X AHL, which is one under the NHL. I played with some NHL prospects. That's where I ended up getting my torn meniscus. I played with a guy who was drafted by the, uh, the Nashville predators. And, um, you know, it was a little bit out of my league. I, I, I handled mm-hmm. myself, but it's, you know, you got to know your limits. I'm, I'm not 25 anymore, but do I feel like I'm 25? I feel like I'm better than 25 because at 25, I was not eating the quality of food I'm eating now. So even mm-hmm. when I go on a binge, like I've been on a binge because of, because of COVID in the last 10 days. And, um, you know, a, a big cheat for me is to have like a liter of milk. That's a big cheat. Mm-hmm. And people think milk's good for you. Well, not in, you know, not the sugar that naturally, you know, occurs in, in, in milk and uh, so, dairy in general is not that good for keto. So, so in, in terms of uh, losing weight, you know, you, 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 you're speaking about keto. Can you just tell us a bit about the keto and why you think it's uh, the most effective way, if you like, of losing weight? Well, I, I think at least during the, the period, like people say you can't sustain it. It's not easy. But mm-hmm. I, I think everything comes with sacrifice. And if we hadn't abused ourselves, perhaps we wouldn't have to be, you know, going into keto to the level we have to because of the excess fat we have. But your body lives off ketones and ketones is, is different than living off of um, carbs and, and sugar. Because what happens is that becomes your energy source and the ketones is from your fat. And so what it does is you, you satiate yourself with the food. But you don't have to eat as much because it always has your backup resource of fat to eat. So as long as you're making fat as your you know, primary ingredient, good fats like from meats and from butters and things like that, and um, you're eating stuff that are low-carb, nuts and seeds and, and lots of salads, and, and I still don't eat enough salad, but once you change your diet your body ends up feeding off of its fat as a fuel source. And so you don't get hungry. The problem is we get hungry and carbs uh, spike your insulin and create hunger. And so you never feel satisfied. So what keto does is it satisfies you where you're not binging. And when you don't binge, you don't overly eat or you don't eat in excess to the point that you end up putting on weight unnecessarily because your, your calorie intake goes down. There's a deficiency enough that if it's a 500 to 700 a week or sorry, a day, then over a week, you're losing a pound, pound and a half because your body, when it's hungry, will eat the fat. The signal will be to go after the fat, not to go after um, the carbs. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's it's it's, it's just about training your body to take a new fuel source that allows it to take advantage of. I mean, at least me being overweight. It's interesting because it, it, it's kind of not what we used to hearing. It's kind of not what we're taught that, that fat is good, you know, that eating fat, you know. But of course, if you if you cut out, cutting out sugars and carbs, then it is, it's actually a good thing, you know. So it's, 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 a, it's an interesting uh, diet. And I know many people that have benefited and have lost a lot of weight through the keto uh, diet 
Um, yeah. Subhanallah. No, it's, it's good. So, um, I wanted to get onto the, the the main topic really, which which is why we decided to kind of speed up this uh, interview. Um, as I said, I would, I would have preferred to have interviewed in, in person, but you know, recently. Um, the past few weeks, uh, you was actually diagnosed with COVID. And uh, I just wanted to kind of get you on and, and, and kind of hear about your experience having COVID and, uh, you know, kind of get your perspective on things. Because, you know, there's a lot of skepticism amongst the Muslim community, you know, also amongst, uh, you know, other communities, um, you know, and, and rightly so, you know, the, 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 I can understand why people are skeptical about um, you know having injections and and things like that, but I really want to kind of speak to someone who's you know actually had COVID, and and really get your your personal experience because um, from what you was telling me, it was not fun. Well, uh, it definitely caught me off guard. Um, uh, in terms of skeptics, I mean, I, <clears throat> I guess you can count myself into that bracket. I I I just. You know, when it comes to pharmaceutical companies, I, I just, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm completely of the opinion that most of them are garbage and, um, you know, that they're not out for the well-being of mankind. Uh, they like to keep people uh, down and out. It's almost like keep humanity alive enough that you can inject them with something and uh, keep them alive, but uh, take their money at the same time. Because you never hear about um, the government messaging, talking about eating right. And, and the government always, you know, talks about forcing staying home and things like that. If they, if, at least in Canada, if they spent as much money subsidizing good food, healthy food, and force people to eat better, I, I think you'll keep most of the people out of the hospital with COVID. It, it might kick yeah. their butt, even like it did with me for a few days, but they won't have the respiratory issues that people are facing. And all those people with preconditions, they're not explaining to them that a lot of them are you know, self self inflicted preconditions. Uh, that's you know? a very very good point. Uh, I didn't think of that. You know, uh, you know why why they're not promoting eating well. You know why are they still allowing all the junk food and the, the bad the bad food. You know, it's, it's subhanallah. So I I ended up getting diagnosed on the thirty first, but I I had COVID since around the nineteenth. So they say you don't even test positive, but if you had enough of it. Then you can actually the nurse I talked to yesterday because they have they do follow up which is good, and they they said that um, you can test positive for up to three months after you've had COVID because depending on how much COVID you had in your body, but it's just not infectious to other people uh, past uh, the ten day mark. So <clears throat> I you know I, I got caught off guard. I was in ketosis and and I cheated a couple days before the symptoms with a few liters of milk. So. I thought maybe I was getting the keto flu, although I, you know, I felt that maybe, you know, I looked it up on the internet and very similar symptoms. I got a fever in the beginning, but then I got extremely fatigued. And um, by about day five, it just, it knocked me out where I was sleeping 20 hours a day. Uh, and literally like without exaggeration to get off the bed and to walk 25 feet to make would do, I would get the chills and, I would, it would be like an Olympic sport. It was just so difficult. There was just no energy. 
So mm-hmm. me, the cough was a little bit of a dry cough. I didn't have a severe respiratory issue. I was never a smoker. I didn't have any problem with my lungs, but you could feel it in your chest. It was almost mm-hmm. like you felt like the, the, the um, what did they call it? The storming of Normandy. Um, but it, it was right there. And I was like, alhamdulillah, it, uh, it didn't get in because it felt that if I really had to cough hard, because I was coughing light, mm-hmm. that, man, that would have been just really, really difficult. So for three to five days, I was, I couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't eat a meal for, for, I think is either three or four days in a row. I was losing a pound and a half a day for about eight days. I lost like 15 pounds in, in 10 mm-hmm. days. I put back 10 of it already because it was almost like when it was over, I was just like eat, you know, almost yeah. like a chipmunk got to store up some, store up some food. But um, respiratory issue wasn't the big thing. It was just the lack of energy, the fever for me. Um, you know, people say, why didn't you get tested? I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't walk to the car. Mm. How do you, where do you go? And in Canada, it's not mm. like you just roll up. You have to make an appointment. And then they call you and give you a time. For the first 10 days, I was like, even if they gave me a time, I wouldn't have been able to go. So we only live in the same house. So isolation for us is like, it is what it is. Like we're all in the same house, you know, we yeah. all got it. Um, definitely hit you. Yeah? Give you a, yeah, well, you know, yeah. I, I'm the skeptic too. I was like, ah, oh, it's like the flu. Yeah. I, you know, I never took the flu shot for the last 25 years. I, yeah. I can't say I'm anti-vax, but I'm not, I'm like, listen, if I'm healthy, why would I take something, you know, that, my own my god-given immune system can fix unless it's something that really you know everybody has to take like the meningitis shot in order to go to saudi arabia for hajj or something like that Mm -hmm. i didn't understand why i would just take it you know just in case i get the flu because the flu never really bothered me that much so it's definitely not the flu when people say oh it's just like the flu Mm, i don't know i've never experienced anything like this and i'll have to say like up until i got it i was playing hockey five to seven days a week. It's not, I'm not active. I'm 185, 190. I'm in pretty decent shape. And uh, I know it affects people differently. And some will say, well, I'm, you know, I didn't, you know, I just got it and it was nothing. Well, good for you. Uh, I'm just saying if you're under 50 and you have any preconditions and uh, especially related to your breathing, then you have to be extremely careful. I would, you know, and by the way, one thing that I really think it hit me harder than it would have, I didn't start taking my vitamin D um, and my uh, zinc and my vitamin C until about day four or five because I thought it was the keto flu. But once I started taking that, I started getting better right away because that's all related to your lungs and, 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 um, and your breathing. Excuse me. And uh, so it was, it was something that I I really highly recommend people taking it even as a precaution. Uh, find out from you know from experts how much you can take but take as much as you can take because it'll really strengthen your immune system and help your lungs and i'm taking it now because now my lungs have been damaged so uh, the um, side effects are and the after effects are some people are facing them from one month to six months so they're definitely side effects i was getting heavy breathing i did a video on facebook and i was just walking around the yard but if you listen to me, you can kind of hear me still heavy breathing. Yeah. It wasn't I was jogging. It was just normal activity. But it was still, I'm still getting used to 
uh, activity. Now it's okay. We went to Costco today to pick up a few things. And it was the first time I walked around and got into the car and felt 100% normal because I, I never... I never remembered having it. Every every other place we've gone to or or done work in the yard, there's some indication that yeah, wait a second, you had something or you have something still. So yeah. today was alhamdulillah a good day. But the nurse said as long as you're improving from where you were mm-hmm. uh, when you were bedridden, then your body is is fought it off, and it's it's just a matter of time. But uh, they said there's a lot of damage to the lungs that mm-hmm. people don't realize mm-hmm. that have to be repaired. So having having um, you know had had the COVID, what what do you what, what's your opinion regarding vaccinations? Do you think people should get vaccinated? And all this is another kind of topic. The Muslims are kind of a lot of Muslims are just very skeptical. Um, you know they, they're not getting vaccinated. Some of them are. What what do you think about this? Yeah, it's up to each individual. Even we're having that discussion in my family. If I didn't travel the way I travel and um, realize that they're basically going to make it like going for Hajj, because now Hajj, it's going to be mandatory. I want to go for Hajj and Omer again. So, yeah. uh, you know, the best I'm going to do is I'm going to probably try to take the one that's been most successful. I don't know how much research I'll end up doing on it, but um, because of traveling and because of the restrictions that will be put on you. I mean, for and, some, someone like ourselves, we, we travel quite a lot and... Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we can try and hold it out for as long as possible. Wait for the Mark Five or Mark Six. You know, the, let the, let all the guinea pigs try it out. But but ultimately, I don't think we have a choice. You know, we we need to go to Hajj and Umrah at the end of the day. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I told her like we have the antibodies now. I don't know how long for how many months and and you know when you get it again or if you get it again because we've had it. One advantage we have, alhamdulillah, is, is that usually your body is just like a machine, you know. It, alhamdulillah, Allah created us in a way. It identifies it, and it's not going to be fooled by the virus again by, re, you know, um, allowing it to infiltrate the way it did and, and comes off as a common cold or you be, almost become asymptomatic. So there are advantages of having it. But uh, in terms of the vaccine, I'm not – I just don't like pharmaceutical companies. I just – I just I'm so skeptical when when something comes out like, I mean, even the virus itself, I you know, I'm going to believe the Chinese government. I'm just going to get straight up like the whole story. I mean, everybody in the world uniting on this, getting the vaccine and making it part of a traveling you know, requirement. It just seems way too convenient. And um, whether or not the, you know, the vaccine is going to hurt us long term or their side effects, I'm not a doctor, but I just mean the whole thing smells fishy. I just I don't trust yeah. I don't trust very many politicians. I don't trust very many world leaders. I, I know the devil's out there and um, and always plotting and planning for me to just follow the masses because everyone says so. Then, you know, the majority of the world doesn't believe in Islam. So why am I not following them? So, you know, I, I don't work like that. At the end of the day, they got us, you know, the vaccine and what's next and what virus comes next and where it comes from. It just seems way too convenient. And uh, but at the end of the day, man, it's just, you know, I, I just I don't I just know the devil's working 24 seven. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, he's not, you know, I think. The story just doesn't add up. But at the same time, you know, we just have to roll with it. We have to go with it. And, 
you know, just see where it goes, you know, try and make the right decision. Ask Allah for guidance. And as you said, we can opt out as far as we can, but at the same time, when it comes to Hajj Umrah and traveling, it's just got to be done, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough, but but in terms of uh, recovery, I mean, I, I I hope they're seeing like ninety nine or ninety eight percent recovery. Um, yeah. I tried to ask them; they didn't get the information to me yet about which strain of COVID I had because I I, I was interested to see if you know because some people who got it last year didn't get it as bad, so I was mm-hmm. wondering, you know, I'm not a medical researcher, but is is there something to this you know sort of mutated yeah. virus that is is causing uh, even more harm because I I will say this that um, in fairness to the to the governments whether you know they they prepared or not our hospitals right now are being overrun and and it's not like a, a conspiracy like I went through it I mean we could have had at least one person from my family go if it hadn't been for the fact that you know didn't want to be left there alone so yeah. it doesn't take much and, and and you know in reality the hospitals are not prepared for epidemics like this or pandemics so the reality is that they should have built some more temporary places and and got people prepared healthcare workers and that mm-hmm. or they really should have shut everything down one or the other they 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 really kind of they they put sort of the the whole country on hold because they can't facilitate 500 to 1000 people a day to go to the hospital and that's what it comes down to is is in fairness yes it's going to be overwhelmed the icus and surgeries are going to be put on hold and and it is the numbers are up in canada but why like what kind of preparation if you knew something like this for the last year and a half was going like this temporary structures built or or having uh preparing um uh healthcare workers on a higher level so they can help with it there's just a lot of things they didn't do a proper shutdown. I couldn't believe that for how many months we've had kids going to school and they're all ages, um, you know, six, say five years old until 18. Mm. And and you're trusting that their interaction amongst each other is going to be something that's not going to spread asymptomatic um, COVID and then bring it home to their families. Right. I, I was like, I never understood how schools were not the first thing you wanted to close. You're trusting a six-year-old to not, you know, kiss another child on the cheek or or touch a kid in that, you know, or, or breathe on them or come on, man. So it didn't make sense. It was like, if you really want the virus to spread, then keep the schools open. That'll be the number one place, you know, that that virus can spread and, and, and get to. So, yeah, I, it, it, you know, some of the rules and regulations just don't make sense. Like, you know, you've got schools open, uh, public transport, buses, trains open, you know, people like sardine on the, on the tube. Yeah. You know, and the or on the plane, you're six feet apart in line for, for going, you know, getting on the plane and then you're on the plane and you're sitting three inches from the person. So yeah. I, I, I would say when they shut down hockey, I was like, well, uh, they should put a, a hockey arena inside Walmart or Costco, and then we can play hockey. I mean, you know, like the, it was, it was overall. And I know like some of them are just following and they're scared and, and they're making decisions, but a lot of the decisions are politicized. And, and unfortunately they're not, you know, in the best interest of all the people, you know, if they were going to throw money at people at this point, I I think it's into changing their, their health, uh, the way they live. And, Oh, I want to ask you how how do you think that this your your diet 
your keto diet has helped you know you know you having you know being the way you are now as opposed to the weight you was when you used the heaviest how do mm. you think it's helped you like losing the weight like how do you think you would have reacted having covid if you were still at that weight well i i remember when i got my appendix out in kuwait uh, about four years ago and um they kept waking me up and they're saying you stop breathing like you have sleep apnea you you can't you know you you can't you can't you know you can't live like that mm-hmm. and i didn't know i you know i'd stop breathing and it kind of startled me and wake up but i didn't know what sleep apnea was i don't have sleep apnea anymore and when i lost the weight i don't snore i don't have the breathing issues mm-hmm. so having sleep apnea for example and and having problems breathing at night and sleeping and having something like covid would be very dangerous i mean mm-hmm. you wouldn't you wouldn't you're already behind the eight ball and having breathing issues, getting oxygen to your lungs, and now you have COVID. People with bronchitis, um, people who are smokers, who have weak lungs, people with preconditions in general, I don't know what they all are, but but things that especially affect the respiratory issue or the respiratory system. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I think it's it's almost you know a, a miracle because I I couldn't imagine having it being that overweight and out of shape because it's just not the same. Even me being in ketosis, I didn't eat really for four days. I was not hungry. It wasn't like I was hungry and I was throwing up the food. I was in ketosis. So it was cool. I was just, my body was satiated with the fat and it wasn't, it was one less thing I had to get out of bed for. If I had to get out of bed to go make food, then to, you know, and have to go to the washroom and do all this two or three times a day, it was so difficult, John, like, like it wasn't like I was having problems sleeping. I could lay there, I, but I got to the point where I had, and I've never in my life, except for actually when I, just before I went to surgery, I think this is the first time I ever laid down and prayed because I was on the stretcher and they were about to put me under and I was praying Fedger. I had to pray four to six days laying down, mm. laying down. I could, if I even sat and tried to pray, this little movement caused coughing and irritability in my chest that got me coughing wow. just by going down like that. So I had to I had to lay in the bed and uh, and my wife was surprised. But um, even somebody was like, you could have made tayamum, but I had to go to the washroom anyways. But it was just the, the water because I was under fever, it was just, it became like the chills. I would get the chills. Like you wipe down, you got to get under the bed. Like I was sweating, you know, you're cold, but you know, yeah. you've got four layers on you. So, uh, but no, I'm the lie. I, you know, I, I think the number one thing is take care of your health. And, and if, if everybody can do that, then I think in general, COVID or no COVID, you, you know, there'd be far less people in the hospital uh, we would rely far less on pharmaceutical companies who are profit driven and uh, rely on, you know, on eating right and exercising. And we wouldn't be in so much fear. Uh, you know, the world is basically obese, uh, obese and, and, and overweight in general, at least the Western civilization. I mean, obviously, people in, in other parts of the world are are not in, in you know, the affluence that that we have. But take care of yourself. Yeah, subhanAllah. Jazakallah is a good reminder, you know, I, I was shocked when I read your post on Facebook and uh, 
I spoke to you as well, and and it was a big big eye opener. Um, I've knew a few people that have had COVID, but I've not had a chance to like speak to them in detail, you know. But yours was, uh, you know, alhamdulillah, you you survived and you're you're safe, and and uh, may Allah protect you and your family and 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 cure you and bring you back to full health. I mean, I mean, no, jazakallah khair. It's uh, it was a it was a good experience. I mean, it's always. Whenever you get sick, it's a it's a it's an opportunity to to repent and reflect and and come back to Allah and and alhamdulillah it was uh, you know I not telling everybody to get sick but you know if you do get sick then reflect repent and and be grateful because our health is our wealth and yeah. um, it's a thing you know, you know we, it, it's it's Ramadan and, and in reality we never know when our time is and and. The, some of you know we, we both you introduced me to a good friend of yours uh Suleiman. yeah you no know, and uh you know, and that we become very nice friends that you know you introduced us and and subhanallah he he passed away you know mm-hmm. uh, and, and that, that was really shocking for me you know someone so young you know it's really not expected at all and I think he, he was he was on his way to the masjid. You know, he was, he was getting ready to get him prepared to go to the masjid. Yeah. And he was only what mid thirties, mid mid to late thirties. Yeah. yeah. And, and and finally he passed away. And and this is the thing: you never know when your time is. And and everyone, you know, you know, most people, you know, have actually know someone or know of someone who knows someone who who has been affected with this COVID or passed away. And um, it's a big eye-opener. You know, we have to be ready for death. You know, we have to be ready to meet our Lord. And uh, and Ramadan, you know, this is the time of reflection. You know, looking, watching what we eat. You know, getting our spiritual connection with Allah back. And um, do you have any advice uh, to the listeners um, what they should be doing this Ramadan? I don't want to be a hypocrite. I just try to be better than you were last Ramadan. Yeah. Um, you know, we all got to do what we have to do. Everybody's circumstance is different, but for all the Muslims who maybe weren't on the track of praying, praying and take this as an opportunity to come back to Allah, to people like myself who, who constantly have to improve their ibadah and try to do a little bit more each day and build on it and carry the momentum into the rest of the year and the rest of the life. Alhamdulillah. Muhammad. It's uh, good to have you on and good to see you again. And uh, thanks for joining us on the Young Smirks. And uh, hopefully we can get back out and enjoy the Middle East. <laughs> Inshallah. Yeah. I'm looking forward if to not, that. I'll come visit you in Turkey. You know what I mean? I yeah, bring the wife sure. and then um, we get to experience Turkey. Never been there, but it's such a beautiful place. You're welcome. So Jazakallah, thanks for joining us. And for those of you who have been listening, thank you for joining us on the Young Smirks. Make sure you like, share, comment, subscribe, and uh, let people know about this, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you for listening to the Young Smirks podcast with me, John Fontaine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and YouTube and all the other outlets. Like and subscribe and leave a comment. And also, please support us on the donation link below so that we can continue to give you quality podcasts. Thank you very much. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa barakatuh.